0: In the Methodist Church, pastors are moved from churches. If you don't grow up in the Methodist Church, this can be a surprising occurrence. They're like, wait a minute, I like that person, why are they leaving? Are they leaving me? What's going on? I had a colleague who grew up in the Methodist Church, uh, went, to, went to college, was going through the ordination process, was about a month away from going to seminary when she was taking a sociology of religion class and got to the concept of itinerancy. And she was like, gosh, that's a strange concept. I'm glad the (laughs) Methodists don't practice that. (laughs) Because she had grown up in a church that had only had one pastor her whole life. And she was in for a rude awakening um, when she realized it. But she's she's still there chugging along in the ministry. But that's something that, that is a part of it. Pastors move. I have some colleagues that moved recently. And during their move, they have a first, a first service, a first time they preach before the new congregation that they don't know how long they're going to be with. And so they usually share their call story. And then they don't ever mention it again. <laughs> when, you go, when you go through ordination, you have to say your call story so many times with so many people over and over and over again that by the time you get into church, you're like, okay, I just want to let this out there and then kind of move on to something new. But it's so important. It's so important to, to share that story. And many of you were not here on Ju- in July of 2016 when I preached my first sermon here and I shared my call story for the first and only time since I've been at Berkeley. So I would like to share my call story with you all and also bake some matzah. So that is what we are going to do. Matzah... Um, to be kosher, matzah has to go, it's a mixture of flour and water that can only go from the first time the water is mixed to being out of the oven in less than 18 minutes. And so that's a good time limit on a sermon anyway. And so... <laughs> so we are going to work with that. We're going to have some gluten-free and some whole wheat matzah, and I'm going to tell you about my, my call from God. And so I was born in a, in a family that went to church, that went to a Methodist church. How does this work? Okay. <laughs> <figured it> <laughs> And uh, my parents actually met at church camp. They met at a Methodist church camp. They did not get married at that <laughs> Methodist church camp. Uh, a few years later, but they, um, but it was. I, I think it was really important to their relationship. I haven't talked to them too deeply about it, but they came from very different backgrounds, um, very different social and class circumstances, and yet had this connection of of their church and their faith. We grew up, we grew up going to church, and um, we grew up going to church many times. I went to a lot of VBSs. In my day, sometimes between eight and fifteen, <laughs>
1: my uh,
0: my mother uh, worked during the summer, and so there weren't a lot of opportunities um, for her to. Like, I wasn't in school, and so she had to. Uh, she took me to VBS. I got like a lot of a lot of VBS. Um, we did uh, we did lots of church things. Grow up going to Wednesday Night Live. At church, my dad was is active in the choir. Here has always been active in the choir. Um, they had all sorts of children's things, but it wasn't. But just growing up in the church didn't give me a call to ministry. I didn't. I don't have any pastors in my in my family. And going back many years, and it's so funny. I didn't realize this, but before I got into ministry, but a lot of people in ministry have other people in their family who are also in ministry. And it's so, it's so bizarre when you have these conversations. Oh yeah, my dad was a pastor, my uncle was a pastor, my, my aunt was a pastor, my cousin, you know, over and over again. It's like, oh really? It's like, what is, what is going on? Is there something wrong with me for not having this family background? No, I don't get right. so. But there's, a, uh, there's something special about, this, about a call. And I didn't receive a phone call from God about, that said, Wilson, here you go, this is your life. <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone's ever received a phone call from God. It's more like a metaphor of God speaking to you. That would be a very interesting phone call. But um, but I did receive a path. I, I had a path that was guided by different landmarks. And it was a long journey. It wasn't a direct journey. But many of you remember driving before GPS. Driving at night before GPS. And um, you know, if you miss a turn... <laughs> If you're stuck. You know, you don't, there's, there's no phone to call anybody. You pull into a 7-Eleven and you hope they've heard of the street you're trying to get to. Um, but otherwise, you need landmarks to get there. When I was hiking, I needed landmarks to get where I was going. Um, when I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail, they had these things called trail blazes that looked kind of like flour splattered on a tree. And I would follow along and every 100 yards there'd be another blaze. And if I walk 200 yards and there's no blaze. I'm like, okay, I missed something. And you just walk backwards, you find your trail again. You need to get to a landmark. And so that was for me. One of the first landmarks in my life was a pastor on College Station named Jay Jackson. And he was an associate pastor at Christ UMC. It was his first appointment after, after seminary. And he was a second career guy. He was an engineer, um, big Virginia Tech fan. He's now a DS in the Texas Conference. But... Uh, but at the end of Disciple Bible Study, as many of you know, um, there's a, a time of gifts. And he mentioned this gift of Wilson. You need to be thinking about ministry. Now, this was a Disciple Bible Study where I was the youngest person by 40 years. Um, <laughs> I had dropped out of my uh, youth group because I didn't think I was cool enough. And so, but I still had my faith. I had, um, it was important to me. It was a part of my life. It was a part of my upbringing. I grew up in College Station and with a lot of friends who were, Non-Christian, and that wasn't a challenge. It was just, it was just kind of a reality of my life. And so, so Jay mentioned this, and I was like, I don't know about that, Jay. But that was something really important, and I, I just remembered it. And God continued to speak to me. And I remember, I remember coming to UT and coming to the Texas Wesley Foundation, and and going on mission trips to Mexico, to Saltillo, Mexico, and to Lima, Peru, and having these amazing experiences of God. And, and just continuing that, and just being surprised that God has something in store for me. So that was back, I went to this undergrad in like 2001 to, to 2004. So a long time ago, I started the ordination process. I, um, I applied a seminary. I applied to seminary, and I, and I get waitlisted, and I, I don't like that. Um, <laughs> that's not something I'm proud about, and I don't share it a lot. Um, my, I had a, my paternal grandfather was very supportive. Of, of this journey, and I remember this time we were driving somewhere, and he was asking me, he was excited. Wilson, what's going on? Have you heard back from Duke yet? And I was like, Yes, Daddy Mac, I, I think I got waitlisted. And he was someone who was um, he he had a temper.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> it's a very inside joke with one person in this in this room. Um, he didn't usually do it with me, but he had a temper. And I remember that was the first time I ever saw it. and It was Wilson. What are you doing? Call them up right now. You do not need to waste the gifts God gave you. Call them up and figure that out. See what's going on. And I did. And like that was a landmark on my journey of me. I could have just forgotten. I could have ignored it. And instead, I, I listened and I called them up. It was going, um, my time, my going to seminary, which was this amazing experience, but also a challenge and not ever giving up on God and like, having opportunities of giving up on myself but not giving up on God. And yet, at the end, kind of realizing when I gave up on myself, I was giving up on God.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that power of that. It was moving to Denver, Colorado after seminary because I didn't know where I was going to go. And, and, in that, and in that journey, I found, had some dear friends and a former teacher who came and told me, Wilson, again, what are you doing with your life? You need to be in a church. God has a plan for you. Wow. That was such an important part of my journey. It was ending up after Denver, coming to Austin, meeting Alina, um, this, amazing, this amazing woman who, when we met, Alina was a PhD student and full-time high school teacher, and I was a professional bulletin folder.
1: <laughs>
0: Literally, that's, that, was my, that was my livelihood. Um, <laughs> I didn't have any furniture i had a a small efficiency apartment in a um it was a wonderful complex right it was so it was so tasteful and she but you know she did not alina is my wife for those of you don't know um she did not see the deficits in me that i focused on that i that i fixated on she saw the possibilities that god had for me and this amazing journey that ended up through the United Methodist Church, that Byzantine bureaucracy that took. It. So I had my first conversation about ordination in the summer of two thousand and two, and I was fully ordained in the summer of two thousand and sixteen. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> it happened. And as I as I Kept telling myself over and over again and tell other people in the process, they kind of ran out of ways of saying no to me. <laughs> and, uh, I just got, got further and further away that they just, they couldn't say no to me. So, and then, and then I got here and throughout this, this journey, this amazing journey um, that I made, um, this experience that I, I rarely share. Again, like through ordination, over and over again, you have to told over and over again What is your call story? What's your call story? Do you have your call story over and over again? And yet that's, um, it's not something that I'm so proud of. Yet that itself is part of the problem, that I'm not used to telling my story. I'm not used to telling my story. They ran out of ways of saying no to me, but I wasn't focused on that. I was too focused on the no's, not focused on the yes of God. The yes that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus Christ. Jesus as the yes of God. My friends, we are continuing the series on the bread of life. We're getting a little more literal this week. <laughs> Last week it was just a pile of flour. Now, now we're doing a little, a little more than that. Last week we talked about hunger. What is it like to be hungry? What is it like to have hunger in your heart? What are you hungry for? We spoke of the miracle of flour, and yet flour all by itself Does not feed you. You can't eat it. You put it in your mouth, and this like pasty cake comes out, you just got. You can try it afterwards if you want.
1: If you don't believe me. But,
0: But it's not enough. You need water. You need water. You need water in order to have the life. Today we are focusing on expectation. What are the expectations from God? We read, you read this scripture from 1 Kings, which is about Elijah. And it was so, I'm sorry about that translation, which didn't mention Elijah's name once. <laughs> it was about Elijah. Elijah was fleeing the wrath of King Ahab. Not Captain Ahab, King Ahab. <laughs> and, he was, and he was hungry, and he was tired, and he was hiding in the desert. He was hiding in the desert, and he had given up. He had given up. He didn't have an expectation of what God would do. He thought it was over for him. He thought it was over for him. He focused on the no. He did not rest in the yes of God. He did not rest in that amazing yes of God. And yet God told him to get up, eat something. That's what it literally says in in the Hebrew. Eat something. And he was like, I'm in a desert. You know? <laughs> what am I supposed to eat? And he was, you know, sometimes, many of us, I close my eyes when I pray. You know, you pray and you're closing your eyes. and like, talking to God. And you hear, what? Your eyes don't open. You're still... And then he opens, he opens his eyes. And there's manna <coughs> baking. There's a jug of water. God had provided for him. The John passage from today, from John 6 alludes to manna in the wilderness. Manna, which I mentioned last week, which literally means, what is it? What is it? What is this thing, the manna in the wilderness? Throughout the Gospels, we always have to be mindful of the Exodus experience, of what was going on when, Jesus, when God freed the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea into the wilderness. God rescued them. The story of Exodus needs to be continued to be told but we must remember that in the wilderness they started grumbling right they started murmuring they started thinking about you know it was pretty lame being a slave but at least i was full at least i was full i didn't i wasn't free i could have do what i wanted but at least i had this one thing that was going on and i'm going to grumble about it i'm going to murmur about it i wish i could have gone back yet god heard them even though they were grumbling and murmuring, God heard them, and God sent doves and manna in the wilderness. But you know what God else God sent? All right, Vicky, I think we're gonna go with this. Or no, it's a little bit dots. God sent water. Gotta do some forking. God sent water. It doesn't talk about the water, right? There's not a scripture saying, "Gee, God, I wish I had some water," um, because the water was there. We don't, we don't ask for God things that God has already provided, right? We, we assume it. It's implied. It's there. You focus on the thing you're lacking. You know, like, God, you know, I'm sleeping on a wonderful bed, and I have lots of water, but I just wish I had some cake. And you focus on that, <laughs> and you lift it up. In the wilderness, God, you know, we don't have the slave master's whip. We have plenty of water. We're, all our family is together. They're not stealing our children anymore, but I could use a little steak. the the lifting up to God. But that's okay. You know what the amazing thing is? God listens. Right? Even when they were grumbling and murmuring and maybe didn't quite want God to hear. Even even when they didn't quite want God to hear, God heard. Murmuring itself, though, is bad. Thank you, Judy. (laughs) Murmuring is bad. Murmuring is when you say something under your breath that it's not really for anybody else. It's like, you know, oh my gosh! I wish they could have called me last week. Or, you know, did everyone hear that? You know, oh my gosh! I can't believe I can't believe they forgot. I can't believe they wore that. Oh my
1: gosh. Like that's a murmur.
0: Like that's a murmur. You're not trying to enter in a conversation with anyone, right? Like that's not the point. The point is kind of like letting out, letting out yourself. You're really just talking to yourself. Um, murmur. You don't want to be heard. You know, it's against dialogue. It's not about dialogue. It's about like separ- really separating yourself. From communities, You know, it's saying something when you're driving, like, God, that person cut me off. I'm not going to do anything about it or change my way of driving. I'm just going to say it and move on with my life. But that, that's a murmur. And it's not, it's not good. It's not good, but we all do it. We all do it from time to time. Criticism, though, is different. Criticism is about the integration of community. Criticism opens dialogue. When you, in, a, in a proper sense, in a biblical sense, you open it up in a conversation about that. As Karl Barth says, the Lord does not reject criticism, but only the murmuring that does not expose itself to dialogue. Yet even still, God, with that grumbling, with that murmuring, God heard Elijah in the desert and gave him bread and water. God heard the people in Israel and gave them bread and water. God heard the people crying out for a Messiah. In 1 John, we see Jesus becoming flesh, To dwell among us. Here we see why. Here in John 6, we see why he became flesh to give us life in the wilderness, the life of his flesh. The bread Jesus offers for us contains the heavenly life itself offered to us. And yet, still, we flee from God like Elijah fled from Ahab. And many of us give up on God, maybe not explicitly. But in the way we live our lives, in the, in the ways of practical atheism, in the ways in which we act as if there is no God, as if there is no consequence for our actions, as if, as if our neighbors do not really matter if they aren't made in the image of Christ. The ways in which we act in murmuring our life away, grumbling under our breath, not really wanting to change, not really wanting to address anything, just wanting to kind of get along and just let our peace be made without hearing the peace of others Elijah gives up but God does not give up on him in the, um, in the Jewish festival of Passover the Seder which is like the sitting thing you have, uh, um, it's the festival of the matzah, of the matzot, of the unleavened bread, you sit around and tell the story you tell the story of the exodus and it's, it says there's a blessing to those who elaborate the most who tell the broadest story, the widest story, the longest story, who tell it to the children, who can tell a story to the three-year-old and the 90-year-old in the same way, because they have to retell that story every year. I, I say my call story today because I need to remember my call story. I need to remember it, and the only way to remember it is to tell others about it. If I don't tell my story, my expectations become murmurs. I become just another murmurer. You just say that five times, murmurer. (laughs) I'm like, God, God, what are you doing right now, God? God, what are you doing right now? I look around. I look at my life. I see deficits. I look at the world. I see deficits. I look at the church. I just see the deficits. I see deficits in the fruit of my labor. I hear appreciative words on Sunday after worship, and I don't focus on them. I focus on the deficits. And I just murmur. I just murmur about it. And I don't want to tell anybody because I like, I like that, that murmur in time. I don't want someone to hear my murmur. And gosh, then I'd have to talk about it. That would be too much. I just want to murmur a little bit and move on. I don't tell the story of God's actions in Elijah. I don't tell the story of God's actions in the Hebrew people in Israel, freeing them from slavery through the waters of the Red Sea. I do not say enough that Jesus became flesh to dwell among us. To save us from the no. God understands that we say a lot. To be a yes for us. To be that ultimate yes for us with arms wide, ready to embrace us. Even when we say no. Even when we murmur. To remind us that the water was already here. The water was already here. We had taken it for granted. It was implied. It was assumed. Not all of you are called to ordain ministry. Maybe some of you are, but not all of you are called in the way I was, but all of you have been called by God for sacrificial love. Eat of the bread of life, bathe in the waters of life. All of you are called in this way. So, how do you tell your story of expectation of God in your life? When did God give you the water when you were thirsty? When did God give you the bread when you were hungry? When did God imprint a yes on your life? I want us all to take a moment of prayer, of silence, to reflect. My friends, we can only expect what we imagine is possible. Get up and eat, God says to Elijah. But I, what I want you to remember is that God's call on your life is not just for survival, it's not just the bare bones. God's call on each of our lives. When God tells us, tells me, Wilson, you are loved. There are people in the wilderness, go and feed my sheep. The bread of life is not just for the people in this room. It is for this community, this state, this world. God's love is not a source of shame, but hope. God's mercy is not something to hide from others. God's life is not the worst thing people have done in Jesus' name. Have you seen God's will in your life? If you have, tell that story. Practice telling that story. Tell that story to someone at lunch today. Don't murmur about it. Don't be ashamed about it. Some people have stories just like Paul on the Damascus Road. They feel struck. They feel blinded. God completely flips their life upside down. Some people have long, windy roads, and yet God is present, amazingly, in each of these stories. We should never be ashamed of our stories of God in our life. Because the story is not about us, but about God. If the story was about us, yeah, sure, be ashamed. You know, you can't compose that wonderful story. But it's not. It's not about you. It's about what God has already done. And if you haven't felt God's will or God's love in your life, don't be ashamed. Don't be alarmed. Don't feel left out. God is there with you already. The people murmured about being hungry, but God was already present with the water. The water of life was already present with them. The water of life is already around you, wrapping God's arms around you in an embrace of love. The bread of life is offered as well to you. It is offered here in worship, it is offered in friendship. If you have not found God's will in your life, you don't need to murmur. Talk to me, talk to a friend, share with others, seek the scriptures. Serve your neighbor. Feed the hungry. Come to Work Corner at 6 a.m. on a Sunday. Just show up. It'll be great. Come on on Tuesdays to the plus one interviews. Come to the free store. Share and help. Serve others. We can only expect what we imagine is possible. We must remember that everything is possible with God. Get up and eat. Get up and eat. In the name of the Father and the Son. In the Holy Spirit. Amen.